Good morning. If you would turn to James chapter 1. We're going to be using this mic today, so hopefully I don't mess that up somehow. (laughs) Beard's coming in nice, Nick. Looks good. Um, I pray that everything went well with Thanksgiving for all of you. Um, I will report uh, that I did not burn the turkey. In fact, it it actually turned out really well. Um, Sunny said that it was the best turkey she'd ever had. This, of course, coming from a woman that thinks every sermon I preach is a good one. And so, um, but um, I was able to not burn it. So I guess my days of of self-deceit regarding smoking turkeys is, is over. None of that has anything to do with what we're talking about today, of course, um, except for that it reminds us that we're moving on to verses 26 through 27, because in verses 19 through 25, we talked about self-deception. <laughs> so, but it's been a couple of weeks since we've been in James itself, <clears throat> and so we probably need to get our bearings just a little bit. So we're going to go back to verse 17 um, and kind of work our way through uh, verse 25. And as we do, I want you to pay attention to see that, there, that, that James is making a, a larger argument that includes the verses that we're looking at today, verses 26 and 27, really just getting to verse 26. But, but um, so, so verse 17 down through verse 27 is, is one major argument. And he has four points, and the first point is that God is good. That's verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So nothing that we have that is good comes from anywhere else other than, than God. Um, God alone is not only good, God himself is goodness. Uh, itself. Uh, By contrast, anything that we have that is bad does not come from God. And so James starts off the letter talking about trials. And so trials are good in that they come from God. um, And because God uses them to make us, as he says in those opening verses, to make us perfect and complete and, and lacking in nothing. And so trials in God's hands are good. If we, though, turn our trials into occasions for for whining or complaining, or if we turn our trials into occasions for seeking after worldly things, well, that's not from God. That comes from within us. That's verses 13 through 15 of James uh, chapter 1. So um, God is good, though, and that is uh, uh, an unmistakable truth. It's not even debatable. Um, And James seals his argument for God's goodness, really, in the very next verse, verse 18. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And so James's proof for God's goodness is that God has birthed us. We weren't saved because we asked for it. Uh, We've never met a baby who's asked to be born. And same with us spiritually. God brought us forth, just like he did creation itself because he wanted to and by his own power and so if you're a believer here this morning it's because God is good nothing else explains it 
If you end up in the new heavens and new earth for all eternity, it's because God is good. Nothing else explains that. Um, God is good, and we know this is an unmistakable truth because by his own will he saved us, which then leads us to the third point, James's major point. God grows us up to look like Jesus. He begins in verse 19, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So James' thrust here is that God will save us not only from the penalty of sin, which we see in verse 18, but also from the power of sin. Um, through the regular reception of the implanted word, we will be progressively saved from the power of sin. Well, what does that look like? Well, simply stated in verse 22, we'll be freed from sin's power in order to become doers of the word, um, like Jesus. Not perfectly, of course, like Jesus, but more and more like him progressively. And so imperfect doers of the word are assured that God has birthed them and that God is growing them. Those who never do, those who hear only, can have no such assurance. Uh, this is, again, something that sort of reiterates itself throughout the verses today, but imperfect doers of the word are assured that God has birthed them and is growing them. Hearers only of the word can have no such assurance, which brings us then to verses 26 and 27. God has birthed us, God grows us, now, verses 26 and 27, here are some examples of, of what it looks like to be a doer of the word, proofs of life. So verse 26 and 27, if anyone thinks he is religious, does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So that's how it all connects. God births us, God grows us, and then God gives us proofs or signs of life so that we can have assurance. So proofs of life, that's really what we're talking about today. Lord willing, we'll be talking about next week. And so in these two verses, we get three examples. We have a controlled tongue, which is what we're going to spend our time on today, a compassionate heart, and then also an unstained um, life. I did intend to do all three today, um, but um, um, because of, you know, this verse kind of goes back to verse 19, be slow to speak, you know, control your tongue, be slow to speak. As the week went on, I became slower and slower to speak. I've had this cold that just kept coming back and won't go away. And so <clears throat> for the sake of all of us, I'm just going to do uh, a controlled tongue this morning. So really, you're only getting a third of a sermon. So however long this is, it would have been three times as long. So just remember that. So one of those silver linings things. So, uh, But before we get to the controlled tongue, I think we need to clarify some things. And first of all, who is James speaking to? So look again at how he starts in verse, verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious, James is addressing all professing Christians. So he's not comparing religions here or other religions here. He's not comparing Christianity to something else. He's not measuring Christianity against Judaism, James, what James grew up with. Because Judaism has no Christ in it, 
James already knows that Judaism is worthless. We can say the same thing about false religions that are around us today. Mormonism, worthless. Jehovah's Witness, worthless. Islam, worthless. We know this to be true because they have no Christ in them. If it doesn't have Jesus, then it can't save you. Without Christ, it has nothing to do with the, the good God who gives every good and perfect gift. It has nothing to do with the Father who created and hangs all the lights in the heavens. So any religion that does not center itself upon Jesus Christ is in itself worthless. But that's not who James is concerned with in this passage. Who he is concerned with are all professing Christians. And so there are some who profess Christ that have been given birth and are being grown up to be like Jesus. And there are some professing believers who are not. One of them has a worthless religion, or it could be translated useless here as well. One of the professing Christians has a useless religion. Another has a very useful religion. But both are professing to be Christians, so they do a lot of the same things. Um, they, the previous passage says that both the doer of the word and the hearer only of the word both read the word intently, actually. Um, so, so what's the difference? Well, the difference between the two, from our standpoint, is what happens to them because of the word, and what they do in response to the word that they read or the word that they, they hear. And so that brings us to the word religion. What does James mean by religion? So you've probably heard this, this statement before. Uh, Christianity's not a religion, it's a relationship. Not a religion, it's a relationship. And I get the idea behind it. Uh, it's trying to stress that, a statement like that is trying to stress that there's, there's something more intimate going on within Christianity than just mere formalism. Um, but ideas like that can actually lead to bad ideas. Like, I can worship Jesus on a lake, in a boat, on a Sunday morning, just as much as you can worship, you know, in, in church on, on Sunday. That's just, that's just silly, right? If we have a relationship with Jesus, then we're going to be religious about worshiping him along with God's people. If we have a relationship with Jesus, we're going to be religious about receiving the word from him, reading his word. If we have a relationship with Jesus, we're going to be religious about praying, communing with God through him. I think we get the idea. Religion itself is not a negative description of a professing Christian. In fact, it should be a very positive expression or description of the um, Christian. And so James sort of deals with this in chapter 2, verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. What is the faith that he's holding on to? Well, it's the basic elements of, of the gospel. We, we believe, right, in the Lord Jesus. We believe that he is the Son of God. We believe in the incarnation. We believe that uh, Jesus lived a perfect life. We believe that he died on the cross as a substitute for those who would believe. We believe that he was raised from the dead. That's the faith that, that James is referring to there. But what does it mean to hold that or to hold it? To hold the faith is, in Jesus is to do something with the faith. It's not merely intellectual. 
It's, it's, not, it's, it's not merely in our heads, it's practical. What we do is not what saves us, so we must be clear. What we do is not the faith that we hold on to, but if we do hold it, we'll do something with it. And so in chapter 2, verse 1, our faith in Jesus expresses itself or shows itself in our lives by removing partiality from us. For James, that's religion. Religion is what we do because of our faith in Jesus Christ. Another thing we do because of our faith is we bridle our tongues. So before we move on, I want to be very clear. What we do with our faith or what it, it means to be a doer of the word does not mean do perfectly. As Christians, there are many times that we feel more like hearers of the word than doers of the word. And we might even look at ourselves into the mirror, the Bible, and see our, that it's absolutely true on many occasions. Um, but the distinction isn't perfect doers versus hearers only. The distinction really is between the words attempt and contempt. A true Christian who practices the pure religion by grace displays an ongoing attempt to do what he reads, to do what he hears in God's word, not an ongoing contempt for what he hears and reads in God's word. To show contempt for God's word is to walk away from it unchanged. And so that's what we looked at a, few, a couple of weeks ago in regard to here. He sees himself in the mirror. He sees what needs to be fixed or what's wrong with him, but yet he walks away unchanged. That is to show contempt for God's word. But God's grace never pushes us away from his word. God's grace always draws us to his word. I oftentimes feel like the biggest hypocrite in the room on Sunday mornings, knowing that I'm preaching, what I'm preaching to you is not always what I'm doing very well in my own practice. My most recent example of this has been this whole buy a broken house, fix a broken house with the hopes of you know, our entire family living all on one, one property. Um, it's been one obstacle uh, after another, one after another. Let me tell you, it's been one after another, and they're not done. <laughs> we moved into our house, and we realized not a single outlet in our bedroom works. It worked before we moved in, but now it doesn't. I'm not sure what happened. But um, there have been so many times throughout this process that I've been anxious, that I've been angry, and that I've expressed those emotions outwardly. I have been faithless. And then I stand in the pulpit somehow Providentially, James is the book we're going through. And I stand in the pulpit and I say, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. Well, I, I wasn't doing that well, but neither was I showing contempt for it. Because by God's grace, I was trying. I'm still growing in my doing of consider it all joy, but it's, it's not perfect. But when I read that verse, I don't walk away from it as if it doesn't apply to me. I don't show contempt for it. I keep trying, and by God's grace, I'm drawn to attempt it, as opposed to be you know, um, drawn away. So sometimes our proofs of life feel like you know, strong, healthy lungs, breathing naturally like they should be. Sometimes our proofs of life feel more like um, gasps for, for breath. Um, and, and James picks three here. 
that do a really good job of showing um, where we might struggle, and a really good job of showing what's actually going on inside of our heart, and that's the key. So, verse 26, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person religion is worthless. Jesus said, Luke 6, 45, for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Our words reveal the condition of our heart. I want to know what our hearts are like. Think about your words. I think his point is, is our words say things that have already been done in our hearts. Our words say things that are already there, that are already there in our hearts. Words reveal what our hearts think. They reveal what our, our hearts desire. They reveal what, our, what rules our hearts. Our words reveal our hearts. But why is the tongue or why are our words such a good indication of what's going on? Think of this like taking an opinion poll. Which poll is more credible? A poll that has a sample group or a sample size of 10 or a poll that has a sample size of 1,000? Which one has the, which one is more, more credible? 1,000, right? The, 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 the more studies that we have, the more um, um, opinions that we have, the better conclusions you know, we can come to. Um, some studies say that the average person speaks 6,000 words a day. Another study says that we speak 10,000 words a day. I'm not sure if they're in different parts of the country, the world, or whatever. Um, I won't go any further on that. But let's just take it down the middle. Let's say it's 8,000 words uh, that we say in a day. Can you think of something that you do more than 8,000 times a day besides breathing? P probably not. Um, Jim has a, I think, I think you have a goal, Jim, of taking 10,000 steps every day. Is that right? Do you do that every day? Do you accomplish it every day? Let me ask somebody else then. <laughs> I was hoping you'd say, not every day. Um, but you still have to work at it, right? It's, 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 it's not natural or easy. Some of us can rattle off 10,000 words without even thinking about it. But I can hardly think of something that has a bigger sample size uh, than our words to reveal our hearts. Proverbs 10:19 then warns us this way. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. <laughs> when words, when there's lots of words, there's lots of opportunities for sin. If we speak 8,000 words a day, how many opportunities are there for sins in that day? Think about it over the course of a year. If my math is right, that's 2,920,000 words. I don't think every word is an equal opportunist in terms of sin, but still, when words are many, sin is not lacking. But don't just think about spoken words. We have so many ways to express ourselves through words today, Facebook, Twitter, or X as it's now called, Instagram, blogs, whatever. Talk about platforms that are fraught with vulnerabilities to create firestorms, which reminds us we're gonna come back to this when we get to chapter, uh, chapter three. But think of all the categories of words that the Bible condemns, spoken or written, crude words, gossip, slander, backbiting, being duplicitous with our words, meaning saying one thing to one person and not something else to another. I'm reading these slowly because I want you to settle, let these set in. But duplicitous with words or flattery, using compliments to gain favor with, with others. 
reviling, lying, character assassination, being manipulative, complaining, foolish speech, prideful boasting, words that tear down, taking the Lord's name in vain. I think just from that list, and we can add some, but just from that list, we can see that we're all vulnerable. Uh, with 8,000 words a day, we're all vulnerable. There's not a, a person in this room that's not vulnerable to these uh, categories. And so listen, the predominant pattern and direction of our speech, it, it's not every single word that's important, but it's, it's, it's the predominant pattern and the direction of our speech. That's what reveals our hearts. So we're, we're not looking for 100%. 100% isn't possible, perfect speech. James says as much in chapter 3. No one's able to bridle his tongue perfectly, but, but what is the pattern of your speech? What is the direction of your speech? Another reason that words are, are good indicators of heart, not just because there's a lot of them, but you know, foolish talk, crude jo- joking. It reveals something in our heart. In, in, in Ephesians chapter 5, says it's the opposite of thanksgiving. Says, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. So the idea is that a heart that is thankful for all the grace that God has shown him or her, it's not so easy for that person to spew out crude things and, and foolish things. Another reason that words are good indicators, corrupt, corrupting talk is the opposite of giving grace to those who hear. Again, Ephesians, this time chapter 4 um, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, so that it might give grace to those who hear. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, so that it might give grace to those who hear. The idea here is people are either going to be corrupted by our talk, or they're going to be, it's like, like receiving a gift from our talk. There's something gracious in it for the other. Um, connected to that, our words have the power to destroy person or build that person up. Uh, Proverbs 18.21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Are people generally built up by our conversation? Think about just yesterday, 8,000 words spoken yesterday. Were people generally built up by your talk or were they torn down the day before, the day before that, over the course of the year, the last two million words that you spoke over this last year? People generally built up or were they generally torn down? You see why God has given us two ears and only one mouth. Uh, Destroying words, corrupting words, foolish words, crude words are all focused on us. Our mouths are oftentimes focused on us, where our ears are generally focused towards others. But with all of that, corrupting words, foolish words, crude words, those are focused on us to, to get a laugh, to hurt others because they've hurt us, to exact revenge, revenge, to shock people. But edifying words are meant to build up. They are words that are seasoned with grace. They are words that convey a thankful heart. And so they're focused on others. So they reveal the heart. So, so right now, even just right now, as we're looking into the mirror of God's word, what, do you, what is the predominant patterns and directions of your speech? What would others conclude about your heart from the sample size of, of your words? Would they conclude that, that you love God? 
would their conclusion be that you want to honor Christ? Would their conclusion be that, that you love them, that you see them as more significant than yourself? Based on the sample size of your words, is that what they would conclude about your heart, or would they come to a different conclusion? Now, and I don't say at this point, I get it, you know, I should be doing better, but you don't know my heart. I know my heart. I know my heart better than you do. I know what's in there. Well, that rationale fails you. We have this idea that no one knows us better than we know ourselves, and that's just not true. If anyone is prone to deceiving you, it's you. You are the one who will deceive you more than anyone else. You will. Um, others are able to be more objective about you than you are about you. And from your words, they can be. But more importantly, God knows you the best. And so he's given us the word of truth as a mirror to reflect back to us who we are, that we might see ourselves. And so if you're feeling convicted by this at, at this point, and hopefully all of us are, it's been like a battering ram on me this week. So if you're feeling convicted by this, don't show contempt for what you hear. Don't show contempt for do not lie. Don't show contempt for do not slander. Don't show contempt for don't, do not use crude language. Don't show contempt for you know, all of the things that we've, categories that we've mentioned. Walking away and not attempting to change your words would be showing contempt. Rationalizing why it's okay in certain places is, is, is showing contempt to God's word. And we're obviously going to come back to this in chapter 3, and I pray that in the couple of months that separate us from now to then, that we'll all become doers of the word over the course of these next couple of months in regards to this. That we'll look into the mirror of God's word. We'll see it, and then we'll do it. Um, because if we do, uh, that's evidence that we're his. Uh, James, in, in chapter 3, verse 2, says, again, says that we're all going to stubble. There are no perfect people. But where we see areas that we need to repent, because God has birthed us and is growing us, we, we will repent, which means we will turn from that sin. And we will seek to use our words more religiously. Um, because if God has given us life, then we're actually able to bridle our tongues. God has given us life. We're able to bridle our tongues. Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Because we are indwelt by the Spirit, we have the fruit of the Spirit, self-control. That kind of sounds like bridling the tongue, doesn't it? Self-control. Well, that's the, the point of the bridle. Have you, ever, have you ever ridden a horse? Anybody ridden a horse? Yeah. Did you like it the first time? I didn't. I was scared to death. Um, I was a massive beast sitting beneath you. And I have a little tiny scar right there because I got bucked off. Yeah, I was in a rodeo. Six years. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Talk about lying, right? But, um, no, but I do have a scar there. I was bucked off. But uh, um, um, it's scary because of this massive beast beneath you. And that's sort of the image. 
a bit in the mouth or is able to control and the bridle is able to control the horse. And that's the point here for us, um, that we can be uh, controlled. The tongue is a very powerful tool, um, but it can be controlled. So, so how does that happen? How do we do that? Well, we first need a good bridle. Right, so listen again to, to James, or to Jesus in Luke 6. Again, how do we control our tongues? Luke 6, 45 again. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. This is very encouraging. It's not just a, a passage meant to, to condemn us or to discourage us or to, to warn us. Or to, it's also meant to encourage us. Even if this one proof that we're looking at today feels more like gasping for breath than healthy breathing. Because if I said, if God has birthed us, I mean, he's given us what? A new heart. Ezekiel 36, 26, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. So we've been given a new heart if we're his. If we're his, if we've been given birth to, if God is growing us, we've been given a new heart with new desires and new affections and new motivations. But how do we control that? How do we guide our hearts? Where do we turn? Well, we turn to, to Jesus. How many vain words did Jesus speak? How many crude words, crude jokes? How many lies? None. Not a single one was ever spoken by him. Not a vain word ever. First Peter 2.22, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth when he was reviled. He did not revile in return when he suffered. He did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. No deceit was found in his mouth. As we stay our focus upon Christ, we become more and more and more like him. When he was reviled, he did not revile. When he suffered, he did not threaten. Talk about a controlled tongue. So look more at Jesus. That's the first step. To, for the heart to be controlled, for the tongue to be controlled, the heart must be controlled. And as the heart is controlled and directed towards Christ, we become more like him. And so look at him in his word. Look at how he controlled his tongue. And pray that the Spirit will conform yours to his. Another one, John 5, 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. The picture I get from that is that Jesus kind of just kind of walking around a cemetery and then just sort of pointing out, live, live, live. Live and as he does, they live. You know, from that. that that's sort of the, the picture we have. But it's not really just a picture. We're all born into spiritual graves, and so if you're a believer uh, here this morning, he came to you at some point and said, "Live and live and live and and live," and we lived. He certainly has that power. He has that authority. Um, we don't. We don't have that kind of power and authority, but as James 18, 21 said, our words do have the power of life and death, power of like life and like death. <clears throat> With our words, we can um, build or we can destroy. So imagine just for a moment your relationships, if you could harness the power of your tongue for the good of them. Imagine what your marriage would be like if you could harness the power of your tongue and use it for their good, to edify and to be gracious and to be encouraging. 
Imagine the power of your tongue, the, the ability to harness that, the effect it would have upon your children, encouraging them and pointing them to Christ and not exasperating them. Imagine what it might do within a, a small community like this here if our words were used for good, if our words were more like Christ, if, our, if upon our minds was God's glory and the good of others, and that's how we use all of our words. Imagine what that could do within this community. So the first step is to, is to look at Christ, is to have your heart enamored with him and the way he used words, and then seek to emulate him. And then make a conscious choice to use your words like he did. So Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. What a glorious promise this is. The same God who works in us to will and to work for his good pleasure tells us to build each other up, tells us not to lie to one another, tells us to encourage one another, not to corrupt one another, not to use flattery, but to speak the truth. He's working in us to, to will and to speak for his good pleasure. So with a guided heart, resolve yourself to do that very thing. Make a conscious choice. And the last thing is make a continual choice. James 1.21, again, therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls from the power of sin. This language is akin to Paul's put off and put on in Ephesians and Colossians. Ephesians 4.25, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Colossians 3.8, put away all, um, put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk with your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. These are all in the, from James to Paul to Paul, these are all in the present tense, meaning put off and put on means keep putting off and keep putting on every day. Now, we're, we're going to say much more about this in a, in a month or a couple of months from now when we get to chapter 3, um, but, but, but there it is. The way that we change, the way that we change our words is to focus ourselves upon Christ, to resolve ourselves by God's grace to do that, and to do it every single day, that our words might be used for God's glory and for the good of others. I pray that by the time we get to chapter 3, we've already wrestled through this many times. Now, this to you might feel like, like you're gasping and you're, 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 you're feeling like this is so daunting because of the way that you generally use words. But listen, as, I, as I've just said, it's not your strength that changes your words. It's Christ, it's the Spirit, it's the means of grace. But it's also us, and so reach out for help from the elders if you'd like that, if you'd like that help. Um, but maybe you're here today, and God has not birthed you at all. But there is no bridle upon your tongue, but not only that, there's no bridle upon your heart, and it seems like your heart just goes wherever it wishes, regardless of what sins we're... we're talking about it doesn't really matter it all comes from the heart so matthew 12 i think that that donald read from earlier 34 through 37 no he read from 7 but matthew 12 34 to 37 says from out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks 
The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, the day of judgment will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. From our heart, this, he says it with language like treasures. What sort of treasures are in your heart? Well, your words reveal that. Your actions, the way you live your life reveals that. Do you have evil treasures? Or do you have good treasures? Well, I would tell you, there is all the treasure that's in heaven is found in Jesus Christ. And the only way to rid yourself of evil treasures and to pursue good treasures is to turn yourself to Jesus Christ. I pray that you would today because he's able, sufficient to save you from the penalty of sin and the power of sin. I pray you would today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this uh, for the letter that James has written. Um, it's a difficult one to go through as it weighs heavy upon many hearts, including my own. And yet, Father, we are so grateful that, that, uh, that we can know that your son has, has died for all of our vain words, if we know you, that your son has died for all of our crude words and our crude jokes and our um, manipulative words or whatever our lives. Father, we are grateful for that. How could we ever count those? Yet, Father, we also know that he is saving us from the power of sin as well, and we pray that you would do that, uh, even today for us who know you. For the one who doesn't, Father, I pray that you would give them eyes to see Jesus today. For the first time, maybe forever, that they would see him as truly your son, who lived perfectly, who died our death and who was raised for our justification. Father, I pray that you would open their eyes to him, that you'd give them a heart to embrace him. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.